Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 359 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We're coming at you fast and furious because there's just a lot going on with the Blue Devils. They're playing a lot of games and not a lot of days and not a lot of time off. Uh, just last night, Friday night, Duke beat Lafayette 88 to 55 was the final score. A lot of interesting things to talk about in this game, stuff that we maybe didn't expect to happen that did happen. Um, I'm talking about you, uh, AJ. Anyway, uh, before we get to all that, let's uh, let's bring in my partners in crime. I am Jason Evans and joining me, uh, Sam Klein. Sam, how you doing? I am doing OK. Uh, we are at that part of the year where it gets dark far too early. But uh, but I'm all right. Uh, at least I'm at least I, I think I'm doing better than uh, the Duke football team is. Ooh yeah. Yeah. We, we are not, we are we're not, not discussing. We're not doing that. <laughs> not doing football. No, we're not doing the Louisville game. Uh, uh-uh. uh, but by the way, uh, it's entirely possible. Louisville football will score more points than Louisville basketball did against Duke. Um, I'm, that's, yes, that's the, ex- that, that, that is actually given the way that the, the Duke basketball's defense has played so far this year, uh, would that's not be right. That's a real thing. That's a we'll, real thing. We'll, we'll do that as a as an over under <laughs> when the Louisville game comes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Donald Wine is back with us after his many travels. Donald, how are you doing, my friend? Are you are you done watching soccer? You ready to watch oh, some football? No. I mean, some basketball? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I've never done with that. Uh, I actually am in Louisville right now. Uh, we went to the NWSL Championship, which was featuring my Washington Spirit against the Chicago Red Stars and the District of Champions. Are champions again for the first time. The Washington Spirit are NWSL champions. So congrats to everyone associated with that team, except for Steve Baldwin. Some people, if you know, you know. Um, but yes, I am here in Louisville for that and having a great time. Donald talking in code now. <laughs> <laughs> people, people know what I know. <laughs> people, people, people know if I, about Steve Baldwin. If they know about the Spirit, they know what I mean. So I'll just okay. Leave I saw it at the that. Washington Spirit uh, when they were still under the leadership of their their disgraced former uh manager i saw like two two years ago i saw them play in uh tacoma so that's the that's the extent of my nwsl washington spirit fandom uh, okay we have we've now spent all the time we're going to spend discussing the nwsl we spent we spent more on louisville football <laughs> this exactly. has been episode uh okay we're gonna move on to what we're here to talk about which is duke defeats lafayette like i said the score was 88 to 55. AJ Griffin had a little bit of a coming out party. We we're going to get to that. Um, but before we get to any individual stuff about the game, we got to do our headlines. That's how it works. Headlines come first. Donald, you've been off for a few days, but I'm putting the pressure on you. Lead it off for me, man. What's your headline from this game? Okay, so my headline is Lafayette wishes Wendell did less rather than more in Duke win. I like it. I like it. Sam, what do you got for me? Uh, Very simply, AJ, okay. I like that. Nice. Um, And and mine's kind of boring. I I feel like I've been doing a really good job on the headlines lately. A lot of puns, a lot of cleverness. Mine's really boring. Mark Williams' paint play leads Duke to dominating victory. I thought Mark was uh, just tremendously impressive in the paint. And we'll be doing, I, I will, I will, Give folks a preview. We'll be doing player of the week at the end of this podcast. And I think based on my headline from the last game and my headline from this game, you can probably guess who I'm picking as player of the week, but that will wait down the road a little bit. Now we got to get to the good and the bad. 
And uh, again, I will let Donald start off. Donald, give me your good from Duke's 88 to 55 victory. Well, I'm glad that we all have headlines that highlight three of the players that I thought did the best. So I'm going to go with the one that I talked about, and that's Wendell Moore. Uh, Window was just incredible. He was all over the place. He had he led the team with 23 points. He had six rebounds. He had four assists. He had two steals. The man was doing everything, and he hit all his free throws, which I'll talk about a little bit later. He was the only guy who could, who made all the free throws. So. Wendell has just been great so far this season for us. He's been a great leader on the floor. He's been great in just about every statistical offensive category. He's been great in almost every single defensive category. So you, you're getting what you want out of him. You know, we were talking during the stats game about the like Shane Battier numbers. Man's putting up Shane Battier numbers. And no, no, but you know what? He so the, the, our contest is 10 games where he does 10, 5, and 5. The mm-hmm. past two games. He has barely missed his 10, 5, and 5. This game, he barely missed it on assists. I think he barely missed it on rebounds. It was, it was assists game. both It was assists what, both, assists games. both games. Uh-huh. Yeah, he had four it, assists on uh, earlier this week and just three assists yesterday. But, like, it doesn't, you know, in, in terms of, like, total impact, it still feels like he's everywhere. Uh, I mean, but, but Sam, you know, we were talking, you know, we were chatting before this show, and you uh, released a tweet by Duke Men's Basketball, like, statistics, uh, their Twitter account, and – you know, they said that Wendell Moore is the only player in power in, in a power five conference that's averaging 16 points a game, six p- rebounds a game, five assists a game and shooting 50 percent uh, from the floor. So, yeah, I mean, you, you could call him what you want. I call him Shane Battier numbers, but let's just call it what it is. Really, really good basketball from Wendell Moore. Yeah. I, I, and I was going to say, I mean, the dude leads Duke in scoring. He leads Duke in assists. He is second on the team in rebounds. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's doing everything we had hoped he was going to do. And he just looks, you know, like way more impressive doing it than I think any of us thought he was going to. It, it's It's been a really great season from him so far. Uh, Sam, I genuinely, I, yeah. I can't remember if if I've said this before, but I'll get excited about this every couple years. Wendell Moore right now on track to potentially getting his jersey retired because he is in line for potentially an All-American season this year, and I have not seen draft reports that say that he is definitely getting drafted next year or this this coming summer, which means probably coming back to Duke for a senior year after. You know, if, if he keeps this up this year, averaging 15, 5, and 5 as a junior, coming back as a senior, can you imagine what impact he's going to have on a, on a team as a senior? Like, that, that's National Player of the Year type production from Wendell Moore right now. So uh, do not be surprised if you look up at the end of next season and it's like, oh, Wendell Moore, two-time All-American, uh, has a very cool highlight of beating UNC and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Huh, I guess we got to retire his jersey. There will not have been many guys that wore number zero before uh, before the last one. Now, I, I'm getting very ahead of myself, but- Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but it, it is, it is to, in, in the same way that it was within the realm of possibility for Grayson Allen, a few years ago before his, his senior year was sort of less impressive, I think, than, than we had hoped. Uh, it's, it's totally in play for Wendell Moore right now. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned it because I was actually, I was actually thinking about this as a possibility, like uh, a couple of games ago, I was like, you know, I don't know, maybe I, I, I think, you know, like you said, we're, we're way ahead of ourselves on that. He needs, he needs to be like in the all American, at least conversation this year, he needs to then come back. Um, Duke probably needs to 
make a final eight, maybe a final four this year and next year. Uh, you know, there, there's yeah, the, the, there's a lot the that has to of, happen. But but you're right. But, it's a possibility. And we haven't had someone who had this possibility for a while. And the, the lack of postseason success, the his first couple of years really does not does not help. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget. Uh, when when expectedly Duke makes the NCAA tournament this year, Wendell Moore will be playing in his first postseason game of his career. Isn't that wild? <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. It's just that crazy. crazy. <laughs> uh, can we can we talk about AJ Griffin for a few minutes? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, well, Sam, it's your turn to give me some good. We're not done with the good. Not even close to done with it. Sam, it's your turn. So talk to me about AJ Griffin. Yeah, uh, he went four for six from beyond the arc and three for four from inside the arc uh, against against Lafayette. I mean, nobody saw this coming and it wasn't just like, oh, he happened to be open and hit the shots. Like he was, he was putting step back moves on guys. He, he, was, had two. he was showing off athleticism. He was doing that vertically and horizontally on the floor. He had, um, he had two step back threes right in front of the Duke bench. Like literally, like if he'd step back one more step, he would have been stepping on John Shire's feet. And those are gutsy shots to take. Cause you miss one of those. You're going to hear about it. Yeah, and here's the thing about the step-back threes is that he had a couple where he had that Steph Curry confidence. You know, you take the three and you just kind of turn around. You're like, yo, let's go in there. Don't worry about that. I'm going to just go back on defense. He's had a couple of those in the last few games where he just takes a shot and he goes all the way through. I love that he's gaining confidence. And, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, him a couple of days ago. He, he's just getting that confidence. And really, as that knee gets stronger, as he gets to the point where he's like, hey, the mental part is over. It seems like he's breaking out of that really, really quickly. Yeah, and, and the thing about AJ was, uh, yes, 18 points. Much of it was when the game was functionally over. Let, let's let's be clear about that. I, I'd, I'd love to see him, you know, reach the point where he's helping Duke get a nice lead versus being the guy who takes a 20-point game and makes it a 30-point game. Um, and, and part of that's a function of how, how much playing time he's getting early in, in contests and things like that. Um, which I think is going to, we're going to see that improve. It, it, he's earned his way. He's clearly playing his way into getting a bigger and bigger role. Um, and, and I do want to point out one thing. He's currently shooting 46% on his three-pointers on the season. Donald, props to you. If I recall correctly, in the stats game, Donald picked A.J. Griffin as the guy who would lead Duke in three-point percentage. Am I right about that? Uh, you are right about that. Yes, and currently, the man leading Duke in three-point percentage is none other than uh, A.J. Griffin. So, Donald, if the contest ended right now, that'd be a point you would win, my you friend. You, you can end it now, right, as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm ahead. I win. Good. Let's go. Give me the trophy. <laughs> I, think Trevor Keels, I think Trevor Keels is going to improve, but we, we, uh, hey, I guess we'll I, see. I got Joey Baker on that contest, and he's still not out of it, even though he had kind of a rough game from, from three this latest No, game. all of those all those guys are still very in play. Uh, and, and by the way, on A.J. Griffin, did not look lost on defense in this game. No, not at all. Uh, yeah. Played played very athletically. We we know that he is a strong fellow. I mean, just look at him. But it has been it has been tough going for him the first few games getting his legs back after the knee injury. It's a it's a tough thing to to recover from. And now it seems like he's getting back into the flow of the game. He's not he, he I don't even think he played 20 minutes the other night, but that just tells you how much of an impact he had is that in those limited minutes he was able to take all those shots and and grab a couple of steals and and be generally disruptive uh the offense is and we'll get to this i guess in the bad but the offense still isn't it's not clicking in the way that you think it could with all the with all the offensive talent but he certainly showed in this game why 
and again, it was against it was against Lafayette, an opponent that is like in the three hundreds in Ken Palm, but showed uh, why why the scouting services were so excited about him coming out of high school, and why the NBA is so excited about him. But but definitely, yeah. So uh, so it's my turn to do a little bit of good, and and I'm going to focus on the guy that I mentioned in my headline, none other than Mark Williams. 14 points, 15 rebounds, four block shots, second game in a row where he has absolutely 100% owned the paint. Like, if you step foot in the paint, you're paying some rent to my man, Mark Williams. Um, uh, and now, it, the amazing thing to me was that he's been sort of rough on the, on the rebounding lately. Like, he has, he's not leading the team in rebounding, not even close. He's third on the team, and, and a lot of people had expected him to be more of a rebounder. But this game, I mean, wow. Like I said, the 15 rebounds, he was rebounding out of his area really well, using his length um, to, 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 to grab boards that you wouldn't think he was going to get. And, and Duke won the rebounding battle in this game, 50 to 33. That's a big margin. Uh, it, Mark Williams, Paulo Bancaro, and Theo John almost combined to out-rebound Lafayette all by themselves. Our three big men almost out-rebounded their entire team all by themselves. So a really great game on the boards by Duke. Uh, and I, I just love, I, don't, don't you guys love watching Mark Williams play because his arms are so crazy long. He's constantly blocking shots where like the guy thinks, Oh, Mark's right here. I'm going to put up a shot at a weird angle because he won't be able to reach it. And then Mark reaches it because his arms are just longer than these guys expect. It's kind of crazy. And he has, such good, he has such good body control too, that he's able to, He's able to kind of hang back closer to the rim and wait to read. Like he's very quick and and has the right instincts for all right. Like this ball is ending up here. Like this is where this is where the opponent expects to get to. I am just going to go get on top of that space. He doesn't feel like he has to keep the hand like directly above the the shooter at all times. So so guys are not typically getting around him, even if they are smaller. And the thing about it is demoralizing for the other team. Cause like you said, there's a point where they jump up and they're like, Oh, I'm going to get this. And like everyone in the crowd is like, oh, poor guy. He just doesn't know. Mark Williams is, <laughs> is 18 inches taller than him. And he's going to jump a foot taller than that. So yeah, he's not getting this ball. So it's, it's, it's very fun to see someone go up with all their might only to know, only for you to know they're going to come down with it. Guys, I got one more good thing I want to talk about. And, and that's, it's a combination of defense and offense, and it's a team thing. And I, I really do want to mention this. On, on offense, Duke only had eight turnovers in this game. And by the way, two of those were by Jalen Blakes during kind of mop-up time. So our, our regular players only had six turnovers, which is really impressive. But on defense, there's a turnover aspect of this as well. Um, we, we forced Lafayette into a boatload of turnovers. They turned the ball over 10 times in the first 10 minutes which to me set the, you know, sort of set the tone for the game. We, we are playing this stifling perimeter defense um, uh, where, where we just get in the other team's shorts. And then if you get around those guys, if you're able to get, the, you know, get the ball past the, the three perimeter guys, Mark Williams is patrolling back there. And there's just, there's just no way for a offense to execute against great perimeter D and a great rim protector. Um, I see guys diving on the floor on defense, giving maximum effort at all time, um, doing a really good job on help uh, and hedging on screens, double teams. Uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm shocked at how good this team is on defense at this point in the season, considering how many new parts they're integrating 
it, it's just something I hadn't really expected from from these Blue Devils. It's it's a great great thing to see so far early in the season because you have guys that are being competitive competitively active at going after the basketball, both on offense and defense. Even if there's a ball that's kind of loose in the floor, those 50-50 balls last year, we didn't get those 50-50 balls. This year, they're not 50-50 balls. They're like 150 minus 50 balls because we are going so hard after the ball that you know that the other team doesn't stand a chance. And because of that, they the guys are active. They get up and they get out on transition and they're able to get baskets on the other end. So that is really, really impressive. And Jason, I know you like the stat. You always talk about the uh, field goal attempts, and that's one of your favorite stats. Against Lafayette, we had we were 36 for 79. Lafayette, 23 for 61. We had 18 more field goal attempts than Lafayette, and we made 16 of them. So that's a really good thing. And when you look at the final score and how lopsided it became, it's because of the fact that we were able to do so by limiting our turnovers and making sure that they gave the ball right back to us on the other end. All right, Sam, wrap up the good. We, we do have some bad, but wrap up the good for me. Um, what's your final note on it? This is uh, good related to the atmosphere, which is that Cameron uh, seems to be, seems to be just as the team is starting to click. Cameron also seems like it's starting to click. Uh, it was, it was louder. It was more intense last night on TV than, than I had perceived it to be previously. And I don't think I mentioned, we actually may have recorded before we got this email, but we got an email a few days ago from listener Drew Davison, who is a Duke undergrad. He must be a Duke undergraduate student, or he's sneaking into the student section every game because he told us, um, he said that uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, we had all the uh, current information about the learning curve on the crazies. Cause I know that I mentioned that after I had, I had uh, visited Durham last weekend. So he said for the Army game and the Campbell game, they were special admission nights. The Army game was freshman night. So freshmen were sort of given priority seating. And then Campbell was sophomore night. So they were given priority seating. And remember, both the freshmen and the sophomores had not been to many, if any, games in Cameron yet, save for that that one exhibition game. So uh, he pointed out that he would guess that about 1,000 of the 1,200 uh, capacity in the undergraduate student section would have been freshmen and sophomores. Uh, and so there wasn't much leadership from the juniors and seniors to tell them how to do the cheering. Seems like they're playing catch up. So I, I just wanted to give the the crowd in Cameron and, uh, and Drew and the rest of the undergrads uh, a little bit of credit for that. And by the way, the, the best thing that I think I get out of getting this email is that it means that undergraduate students are listening to this program and uh, it alleviates <laughs> one of my main concerns, which is that we are a program for old people. And uh, so, so undergrads, we appreciate you. Stick around. I like it. All right, guys, enough of the good. Time for the bad. Uh, the first bad thing, by the way, a- another email that we got, someone pointed out that in the preview, I had said that Lafayette doesn't offer scholarships. Um, that cha- The Patriot League changed that rule um, like a decade or so ago. I'm just way behind the times. <laughs> and and so I was corrected. Uh, Lafayette does offer scholarships, so that's. I the must first not have bad. been paying attention. I must not have been paying attention when you said it, Jason, because yeah. I have a friend who was on athletic scholarship at Lehigh. Uh, so I just sorry for spacing out on that. I should have corrected you live. That's quite all right. It's quite all right. Hey, <laughs> I am like you said, old people. I am old enough to remember when the Patriot League did not offer scholarships. That's right. So. <laughs> you 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 remember when when student athletes were really students. Yes, exactly. Right. 
get the you know uh, get get those kids off my lawn, right? And That's right. Such an old guy. Oh God. All right, let's start with the bad. Uh, Donald, lead it off for me. What do you have about this game that you didn't like uh, in terms of what Duke did? It's free throw makes uh, and just our, our average from the free throw line. We've been kind of inconsistent this year so far from the free throw line. We, I mean, we didn't take that many. We were four for seven, uh, and that's a 57% rate. But you want to be up in the 70 to 75% range. 80% would be would be preferred, but 75% is okay. We've been hovering at like 64% uh, so far this year. So uh, that's my one critique from there is we're not getting to the line enough. Uh, I, like I said, Wendell Moore was the only guy who made all of his free throws. Everyone uh, everyone else, there's only a couple other people, Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro, who actually even attempted free throws. So what that means is guys need to figure out a way to get to the line, but also in this kind of game, you know, Lafayette was probably not trying to challenge Duke to the point where they're going to put people on the free throw line and make them earn it. But during the ACC season, that will happen. So that means that free throws need to be knocked down. And so that's the point of contention that I have, and I want them to work on it. All right, so I'm going to do my bad next, and then we'll go to Sam. Um, my bad is Paula Bencaro, who hit a pair of threes, looked really good, really comfortable with those, but for the second game in a row, really struggled on his two-point shot, just two of nine on two pointers he he ended up with 11 points and six rebounds i mean it's fine it's not like it's a terrible game but i i think our expectations of him are 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 a good bit higher than 11 points and six rebounds um he did pass better this game i think last he had three assists um we were recapping the last game sam and i i think i called him a little bit of a black hole because he he it seemed to me like he was looking for his own shot and not looking for his teammates very much clearly he's listening to the podcast and so he he responded to, to me calling him a little bit of a black hole by, by having a pretty good game, finding his teammates. And I, I thought that was a, a nice part of his game. He also only played 19 minutes, um, fewest minutes of any of the starters. You know, I, I think there are a lot of different interesting sort of reasons for that. I'm not sure I can pinpoint anything specifically about why Paulo seemed to play less than the other guys. AJ Griffin had a good game. Joy Baker's coming off a good game. Those are guys who typically sub it was also interesting jason jason mark williams only had 20 or 21 minutes in this game so yeah like no the starters we, we played could that just much chalk yeah. this up to right we, we could just chalk this up to you don't need as much big man time uh against a, a team like lafayette as duke will like this like it's fine to look at the minutes in these early season games but let's see the minutes that every one of these guys plays against gonzaga exactly That's the rotation yeah, right. Gonzaga and Ohio um, State are the games where you're going to really, you know, that's where that's going to give you a good idea of the minutes, not these overmatched opponents. Uh, and, and by the way, speaking of minutes, the other bad thing I wanted to mention, and this isn't a bad thing, but uh, Jeremy Roach actually led the team in minutes played, 33 minutes played. Uh, Jeremy Roach continues to lead Duke in, in minutes played on the season, you know, and he's starting to stretch it out a little bit over Wendell Moore. Um, but, but Jeremy had a, a pretty rough game offensively, 0 of 6 from the field. Uh, he got his shot blocked a couple times in the lane, you know, against a pretty unathletic and not that great Lafayette team. You know, he had real trouble getting the ball to the basket the way he had. He's been doing a great job of that. So this game was a real regression for him. I think it's just one game, um, not a huge deal. One thing I did like about Jeremy's game, he had he had five assists and he had a couple really nice plays where he, he he got in the lane and was able to feed big men, including Mark Williams, for easy buckets, which is what we expected to see from Jeremy Roach this season more than any other aspect of his game. So uh, so that, that's my bad, that Jeremy Roach and Paulo Bancaro, I thought, 
both had poor games from the field in terms of how they shot the ball. All right, Sam, it's your turn. What do you have for me in the bad category? I still feel like even though Duke scored 88 points in this game, that sort of your point, Jason, that the offense is not clicking yet where we see all the individual talent. I don't feel like Duke has put it all together yet. And that a lot of the points are coming off turnovers. That is fine uh, against Lafayette. I don't know if points off of turnovers are going to, you know, ride Duke to victory again, again, against Gonzaga. And I'm like, I'm already looking ahead at the Gonzaga player page and sort of getting, I'm sort of mentally getting ready just to, just to preview the game, if not to, to watch it. But uh, Duke needs to, Duke needs to be a lot crisper on offense. They need to pass the ball better. They need to go uh, to, to different levels on the court to, to be competitive with them. Gonzaga has, has size and skill basically at every position and, and Duke can't get away with a lot of the, the sloppy black hole offense that I think we've seen so far this year. Some of that has been corrected. Um, Jeremy Roach and, and Wendell Moore definitely looking for guys to pass to. And we saw that again. And, and, and as you were saying, we saw that from Paulo Bancaro yesterday against Lafayette. But I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, which I feel like just stands in contrast to how good the defense, how good and smothering the defense has been and, and how many opportunities it creates. That's great against middling teams i don't know how much that's going to translate against the the best of the best yeah no i i i don't disagree with that at all and uh, you know it, it's crazy to think that duke scored 88 points in this game and that they didn't have a great game offensively but but they they really you're right they really they didn't it's true it's true and and and, and the good the good offensive ratings i think that you you would see on like their ken palm pages or just by looking at the numbers a lot of that was facilitated by turnovers this is really, really affecting our 100 point games on the stats game. So yeah. this is where we need we we need to we we all need the team to kind of step it up a bit because you know some of us predicted a couple of them, and these are the games that you got to go out and just just get a hundred just for people like us. So I need them to I need them to step it up a bit. Yeah, I I got bad news for you guys. I, I looking at the schedule, I, I only see really, really just one more game. South Carolina where, state is the only one I South think Carolina that, state is the one where it right. could happen. I mean, it, it look, it could against the Citadel. Uh, Duke could Duke could decide to, to pour it on and, and maybe, maybe coach K leaves the starters out for a little bit longer against the Citadel. Even if we are, you know, running away with it because we need them to get, to get reps and, and to get, get a few like live, a few extra live plays in before the Gonzaga Ohio state run that, that they're about to go on next week. But uh, yeah, it's not looking good for the hundred point games. They are getting a hundred points against Ohio State on my birthday. <laughs> that's how it's going to happen. <laughs> I love that's, it. That's right after. That's right after Michigan beats Ohio State, right? It's going. It's just a few. It's going to be a great, great later. weekend. Going to be a great weekend. Make yeah. it, made it all happen. Did you Did you see the Ohio State Michigan State game today, Donald? Are I we? Saw the, are I saw that. I saw the score. <laughs> are we? Doing, are we still doing other sports? Sorry. <laughs> Well, well, Sam, you teed it up nicely. We're, we're about to take a break, folks. But after that break, we got a preview. Big game coming up. No, we're not going to preview Gonzaga. we got to preview the game against the Citadel. That's coming up after a break. Stay with us. Okay, we're back, and it's time to look ahead to the Blue Devils' next game. Coming up in just a couple days, we'll be playing the Citadel out of Charleston, South Carolina. Beautiful city, by the way. I've never been to Charleston. 
make, make yourself a chance to go to Charleston. Um, and, uh, you know, this is one of these games where Duke's probably favored by a lot. <laughs> Ken Pomeroy uh, predicts that Duke's going to win this game by 23 points. Um, uh, but there's something about the Citadel that is kind of interesting. Uh, so here are the results of their four games so far. They are three and one. They beat both Morris and Carver, which, which I believe are not division one schools. Um, that's, that's not Carver high school, by the way, no, no white shadow references here. <laughs> um, they lost to Presbyterian in two overtimes, but the really interesting thing is for their opening game of the season, they played Pittsburgh ACC team and they beat them. So the Citadel currently standing at one and O against the ACC on the season, their second ACC game will be against the Duke blue devils Monday night, Donald, how did the Citadel beat Pittsburgh? Well, his name was Jason Roach. And let me tell you, the dude went eight for 14 from the field. And every last one of those shots was from beyond the arc. So he had eight threes against Pitt in that game. And really just, you know, every time Pitt tried to kind of close out and, and bring it back and say, oh, we're going to take the lead. This guy hit another three in their face and just it was off and running from there. So uh, the key here is we've seen guys do this against Duke. We uh, I think everyone remembers the Jimmy Barron game from Rhode Island, uh, but we don't need that here to uh, uh, for, for the Citadel. We, we need them to just get out of the paint and make sure that someone puts the lockdown on this dude uh, so that he's not hitting eight threes against us, because if he does that, we're in for a long night because all of that was what was feeding the motivation uh, for this team and the momentum for this team in their win over Pitt. Yeah. Speaking of Jason Roche, he Roche, Roche, not, we're not, we, we checked on the pronunciation. We couldn't find it. So this isn't our fault, Roche. but Roche. yeah, Roche, uh, Jason, <laughs> Yason Roche, uh, if he was, if he was Israeli, uh, he, he's six, five, one eighty. Uh, looks very striking in his in his military uniform uh, on the uh, on the Citadel uh, team roster page. So my question is, who's stealing the ball from him more this week, Trevor Keels or Wendell Moore? Because uh, one yes. of those guys is going to get this assignment and is going to make it his business to ruin this young man's night uh, against Duke. Going back really quick, Jason, you said that the Citadel beat Pittsburgh. They won seventy eight to sixty three at the peak. Like yeah. this was not this was not like close. Oh, they played in some early season neutral site. Maybe it was in the south, and 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 the Citadel was able to bring more fans or something. No, this was in Pittsburgh, at Pitt's home arena, and they won by fifteen. So that is that is a bad result for Jeff Capel. Uh, I don't know if if Coach K texted him to to wish him sorry or to ask for advice on beating these guys, but man, that is a that is a rough outcome, and I do want to make sure that uh, we get the pronunciation correct on the Citadel, because I know that folks who go there like to call it, they don't say Citadel, they call it the Citadel. Uh, it, you, you, need, you need to let that thing just roll right off the tongue like as quickly as you possibly can. So Duke <laughs> is playing the Citadel this week. All right, I won't even try and, and, and say it then because I'll probably get it wrong because I'm the pronunciation. Than the you... Citadel. Yeah, That's how yeah, they say Citadel. it in South Carolina. No, no it's, it, it's the Citadel. 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 Okay. There you go. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> so what I will tell you about them is that uh, they're, they're really bad on defense. Um, they, they, first of all, for some reason, uh, their, their possessions, like it takes a long time to score against them. <laughs> like the average possession length 
is one of the slowest on defense for them is one of the slowest in the country. Like the teams that play against them take a long time to get a shot, but then so they, they score. They, so they are score they fairly bad Virginia? Are they bad Virginia then? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that is a great description. They are bad Virginia. It takes a while to get the shot you want, but once you get the shot you want against Citadel, you, uh, you tend to score because their, their defensive rating, their defensive efficiency is, is very poor. They're down in the 260s on defense. They do a horrible job of forcing turnovers. They only get turnovers on about 12% of possessions, which is just a really, really, really low number. Um, they're 349th in the country on, on turnover percentage, which is awful. And they're also awful at blocking shots. This is not a tall team. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Really, they they got a couple guys who are six eight. One guy who's six nine. Not all of them play that much. In terms of like the guys who play most of their minutes, you're looking at you know some six five guys. One six eight two hundred pound guy, Stephen Clark, um, six eight two hundred. Uh, good luck at six eight two hundred playing against Mark Williams. You know, and then they're probably gonna have like a six five guy. Like uh, they've got a, a six five two twenty five senior named Hayden Brown. Who, who I imagine is going to play against Paulo Bancaro. Good luck, 6'5", 225, playing and against he Paulo. And he averages 17 and 10, like, as a 6'5". That's actually really good yeah. to be doing that as a 6'5 guy, but I, I don't think he's getting 10 rebounds against anyone he lo- locks up against uh, uh, for uh, Duke. Yeah, he didn't even really talk about how good Theo John was against Lafayette, and, yeah. and, he's, the, and he's the third best big on this team. So. Yeah. Uh, I say start. I say I say start Theo John. Just have him go at him for like three minutes, just to let him know, yo. Just to just to ruin. Just to just to just to like look. Understand, please believe. Like Theo's gonna be like, please believe. You you are not you sir, may be going off to represent our country somewhere, but it it it's not gonna be in this gym today. Like there is definitely (laughs) a there is definitely a world where Duke uh, starts Theo John in in a couple ACC games this year just to scare ACC opponents. Because they think that, like, look, it's not that Mark Williams is not tough, but putting Theo John in the game, I feel like, just makes makes things a lot scarier, and uh, and and you could really frighten another team with that. I, I wait. I'm going to disagree with that. I think having a seven footer with a seven six seven seven wingspan who who blocks shots left and right is scarier than Theo. Have you John. seen Theo John? <laughs> he is a he is a terrifying man. How did our how did our Citadel preview turn into talking about how much Theo John is terrifying? Have we talked about how Theo John looks like Jason Momoa? Yes. <laughs> he's got I, he's got I kind just of that doing, so yeah. He's like he's like if Jason Momoa was really scary. <laughs> <laughs> I can buy it. I can a little Aquaman. He's got a little Aquaman yeah. vibe going on. Yeah. Actually, it's more Cold Drago. He's got a real Cold Drago yeah. thing happening. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, out here, like eating, eating raw uh, horse hearts and, you know, doing stuff like that, <laughs> just intimidating people. I like it. So that's our preview of, of the Citadel. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know what to tell you about this game. It's, it's yet another opponent that, that you would expect Duke to wallop. Donald, last word for me. Yeah, I do have one thing. I, I, I mentioned the Hayden Brown guy and the fact that he goes 17 and 10, uh, 10 rebounds. He's their I center, want- by the way. Six and he's their five. center. He's their center. I want this to be the point of emphasis is just making sure that these guys only have one shot on every possession. If that, if you want to steal the ball, that's even better, but 
the rebounding, we should be winning this rebounding battle, and it should not be close. So for those big men, they're going, they should have a field day with the Citadel lineup, and I want to see them have that point of emphasis because, again, right off the bat, they can go out and say, establish the, establish the understanding that the paint is theirs, and they can try for the perimeter, but the paint is going to be Dukes uh, you know, against Citadel. So I, I want to see that be the point of emphasis, and I think this is something that they can focus on to try and take them out of the game before it starts. Well, and Duke and fans Gordon, can tune in on on Tuesday. Gonzaga is uh, playing a rematch of the Final Four against UCLA on game. Tuesday night. That that's going to be a game to watch before Duke plays the Zags on Friday. Uh, yeah. So your preview of <laughs> your preview of the Citadel this, is uh, my preview of the Citadel Gonzaga? is watch is watch Gonzaga and UCLA because that game is probably <laughs> going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? Uh, all right. So, gentlemen, before we go, there are two more things we have to do. One is we are going to talk a little bit about the issue that came down earlier in the week involving two Duke players um, connected to a DWI. Uh, little Michael Saberino, um, you know, has not been with the team now for the past two games. We don't have any official word, um, but it would appear that he's on some kind of indefinite suspension. Um Paulo was also, uh, you know, cited, you know, all the details, but we haven't heard from Donald on this. And I know Donald, you wanted to, to, to talk about it a little bit. Let, let, let's go ahead and, and, and do this um, before we hit player of the week. Donald, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on the incident that happened on Tuesday or actually happened last weekend? We only heard about it on Tuesday. Yeah. And it's, it's an unfortunate situation. And obviously a lot of guys made bad decisions that night that, that could have affected a lot of different people. Uh, but I'll say for, for everyone out there, I know we've been talking about this on the forums. It's been going back and forth, uh, but the speculation part, we got to stop that because there are a lot of details, obviously, that we don't know about. And really, it doesn't matter what led to this arrest happening or this this traffic stop happening. The fact is it happened, and it's it's a shame that it did happen. A lot, again, Michael Saverino, Paul Bencaro, they all made mistakes on that evening and anyone else that was with them or, you know, basically the, the course of events that led to this, there are a lot of mistakes that had to get to that point, And those mistakes could have cost somebody else uh, their lives or, or, or just, you know, caused them harm. So I want to put that in perspective. And I think, you know, speculating about how we got to this point, what happened, what may have happened, you know, to lead to these charges is not the way to go. We just need to let those come out through the, through the judicial process. And as far as Duke is concerned, I think we just let that go uh, and let coach K and the coaching staff determine what the punishment is. Of course, as you said, Jason, we've seen a little bit uh, in the fact that Michael Savarino has not dressed uh, for the, since this has come out. Paulo has been playing, uh, but obviously he hasn't had his two best games. So, you know, we are, uh, we can, we can only imagine what that is, but, the added layer of this is that Michael Savarino, of course, is Coach K's grandson. And they're, you know, the family is very well connected to the program. And, and there's a lot of people who have been talking about Michael Savarino's status on the team and whether he, sh where, whether he has earned his position as a basketball player at Duke University. That has nothing to do with this either, in my opinion, because he, if, if you believe that, you believe that before the mistake. One mistake does not make this. But I do think that there is going to be something big 
that comes out of this, whether it's Michael Saverino being kicked off the team or an indefinite suspension for a long time. This is going to be something where Michael Saverino is going to be punished in some way, and we need to let that happen. And nothing that we say or anyone else says about where, like, what you may think of his status on the team, that has nothing to do with it. What I do want to say is this. People need to make sure that this does not become the focal point of the season. The players on the team need to make sure that this is something that they can learn from, even if they were not involved in these series of mistakes that led to this bad decision. They can be the part that says, hey, look, we can't have this again. If we're going to do something, we got to make sure that we're safe doing it because that could have gone a million different ways that night. And 990,000 of them would have been really bad. And that could have affected the season in a way that we could not imagine. And we need to make sure that these guys understand that they cannot do stuff like this. They are adults. They're trained to make decisions, but they also represent the university, they represent their families and they represent themselves and they represent us as well. They need to make sure that they continue to do that in the standard that in the, in the high standard that we hold them to and the high standard that they hold themselves to. So on the last podcast, Sam and I gave our thoughts on this and, and Sam, Sam said that he felt that Duke should have um, meted out some kind of punishment, some public punishment to Paulo Bancaro. Sam also felt that the team should be more transparent um, that Coach K, you know, he likes to handle all this stuff very privately. And, and Sam thought that it was a failure of leadership on the part of Coach K to not be more vocal and not talk about, you know, what he was doing about this and, and how Duke feels about it and all that other kind of stuff. And uh, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We got some email. We got some folks who disagreed with Sam's take. And Sam, I want you to talk about that now and uh, defend yourself and also Tell folks what we heard from, from the crowd, from the masses, as they emailed us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, the, the first thing that I wanted to point out before I read one of these emails is, or I not point out, but, but sort of apologize for personally, is that I, I was not as sort of, not that I wasn't thoughtful, but I wasn't scripted and, and sort of well-organized for this conversation as much as I think I should have been because it's a heavy topic and I, I was, I think I was particularly harsh on the program in my criticism here. So what I'd I like agree. to start with, <laughs> yes. I agree. Um, and at the time I disagreed with you about a lot of it. Yes. Um, and, and, and I, I still do feel that, um, th that the program could have done more to be public about this, even though that's not Coach K's style. But I wanted to read from one of the emails we got because I thought it was thoughtful. We engaged with this listener, or I engaged with this listener uh, because I, I, I thought that some of the criticism was, was totally <laughs> fair and, and grounded and actually caused me to walk back a little bit of what I had said. So this was from uh, listener Jonathan, he's emailed us a couple times. So we know that we know that he's, he's pretty engaged here. This was not a, a drive-by situation. But uh, part of his email, he said, in your words, you landed on, ultimately, I just wish that coach and the program were more transparent. I get that. But to equate that to a failure of leadership is a bridge too far. I get that you're curious and want more information, but that's not a failure of leadership. It's a style of leadership that you wish was different. I was fine with the criticism of coach. He deserves some now and then. But this is a man who's written books on leadership and lived it out every day for 50 plus years. I think it's incredibly unfair to call it a failure of leadership leadership. I had friends call me this afternoon completely shocked at what you said and were pissed about it. It's not uh, an over-defensive coach. It's just an unfair assessment. So 
uh, I responded to Jonathan and I said, I, I think that that's, I think that that's okay. Um, I was probably overreacting a little bit to the news and um, I should have, as I said, I, I should have been a little bit more scripted in terms of organizing my thoughts before we went into this. Before I, I talked about the failure of leadership, I said to start, like I was sort of okay with whatever punishment Coach K and, and the program decided on. And then I kind of flip-flopped on that, which would seemed, uh, you know, it, it seemed sort of inconsistent at the time. Um, I, I don't doubt that Coach K is a great leader of young men. There are numerous alumni of the program who are both you know, basketball players and basketball executives and such who, who would attest to that, but also people who don't work in, in sports, who have gone on to other careers outside of, of sports, who will also attest to Coach K's leadership. So this is not just a like cult of basketball players. This is a, this is a group of people who agree with this. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm on that page. Um, I, I, I believe that for whatever flaws he has, Coach K is still a great leader. Uh, I, and maybe I, I chalk this up to a generational divide. I know I referenced this when, when we first talked about it last week. Um, I think that, that the style of leadership where we are not transparent about what's going on is, is sort of fine and traditional, but may not kind of hold up in, in the long run. And I think that's really what I was looking for. So it was, I think I agree with, with Jonathan. It was a bridge too far to call it a failure of leadership. I do think there is an evolution that, that we need. And, and I would hope, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I would hope that maybe when John Shire takes over the program, that there may be a bit more transparency because he's not going to get the same leeway with the press and, and with, with recruits and, and everyone else that I think Coach K does because Coach K has been one around and two successful for a very long time. But uh, to, to sum all this up, uh, I wanted to, to thank Jonathan and the other listeners who, who reached out to us because I think this is an important conversation that we're having. And it's not every week, I think, that this show gets to talk about really serious, obviously, a lot last year and have, have gotten away from some of that. It's certainly not why we started doing this show, but uh, these, these moments are the times when, when I really enjoy uh, getting to, to talk to the two of you and to our audience the most. So uh, appreciate, appreciate people tuning in and, and being thoughtful about it in the conversation with us. So let me just really quickly say, uh, folks probably know this about me. I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm a communications and PR consultant. And I am always in favor of communicating more, not less. Um, I'm very much in favor of as much transparency as possible. I believe that when you don't speak, people speak on your behalf. And that's a bad thing from a corporate standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. And if there was, you know, there are probably one or two things when Coach K, you know, when, when it comes to Coach K's style and his career and the such, there are a couple of things about the way he coaches the team and about the way he runs the program that I would disagree with. And I think probably the A number one, one of those is he is not transparent. I think, you know, even though Coach K does a great job of communicating with the media and talking in press conferences and stuff like that, I think it's something that he enjoys the least uh, about his job. And over the years, we've just seen him again and again, you know, sort of bristle with the media. I think that the fact that he is the focal point of the program that is both the most beloved, but also far and away the most hated program in all of college sports, not just college basketball, college sports, Duke basketball holds a very unique spot 
in terms of people that don't like us um, unfairly, by the way. But I think because of that, Coach K is just really, really hesitant. He's guarded about everything. And this is a case where I wish he would have said and done more publicly. I, I, Sam, I said that when you mentioned it. Not a failure of leadership, just a style thing. But I wish he would be different in this regard. And if I was the communications PR consultant advising him, I would have said to him that this was a time to break out of his mold and be a little more vocal. But I know that's never going to happen with him. He's got too many years of doing it another way. So Donald, I'll give you the last word on, on this whole issue. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and Sam, I think, I think every, I think we both appreciate uh, you responding to uh, Jonathan's email in, in the thoughtful way that you did. And I, I personally don't think you owe anyone an apology, uh, but I do appreciate that you gave one anyway. Here's why this particular Donald, Donald hang on that mm -hmm. Donald, that's because you're my boy. Yes. Right? Yes. So. Um, but I mean, at the same time, it, it's, it's because that this topic is very emotional for everyone. Every single person in this country, unfortunately, has had to deal with drunk driving at some point, in some way, in some fashion. Some, again, the best case scenario is that they that they got arrested, or they know someone who's got arrested, or they know someone who's been cited for you know for something like this. And then there's the worst case scenario, which I think we all know what that those things are, where people don't come home. So I think that is why there's been a lot of emotion around not just what happened but how it happened and the fallout from the punishment and the consequences for both Van Caro, but, you know, and then for Savarino and even for coach K and the team and the rest of the team. I think that's why a lot of people have these opinions, but I do uh, agree. And I want to echo Sam's thanks to everyone who did email us because a lot of those conversations were very thoughtful and they did not come from a place of emotion because that is where clouded judgment appears is in the form of emotion. And I think, it's hard to do that with a topic like this. So I appreciate those people who are able to do so. All right. We, like you said, we've, we've done enough on this one. We've, we've made our feelings quite well known. This is turning into the longest podcast of the season so far. So let's wrap it up here very quickly. We got to do player of the week. It's the end of the week. We had two games. I'm going to go to Sam first, Sam, tell me who you got. Who was the player of the week this week for the blue Duke blue, the blue blue, 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 blue the Duke blue devils. Well, since I've I've put him on the completely unrealistic projection for getting his jersey retired this week, uh, I'm going to go with Wendell Moore. He he went 11 for 14 from inside the two point arc or the three point arc. He went four for nine outside. Uh, both of those are tremendous uh, tremendous percentages for shooting. He scored 37 points across two games this week. Pulled down 11 rebounds, dished out seven assists. He nearly for the week was averaging and, and for the season is averaging over the 10, five and five that we, that we talked about during the stats game uh, has looked just absolutely. I, I cannot, I cannot say how incredibly impressed I am with the leap that Wendell Moore has made this year. And he continued to show it in the two games this week. I am very much looking forward to seeing uh, how he gets the team excited to play Gonzaga in Las Vegas on Friday. So my player of the week, is Wendell Moore Jr. You know, when you add in his defense, it really feels, and Sam, I'm sorry, Donald, you're the one who's made this comparison. It really, he's the closest thing we've had to Shane Battier since Shane Battier left Duke. It really feels this is, I agree. I'll, I'll, I'll give you like a, a more fair sort of player comp here. 
Wendell Moore Jr. this year is playing the way that I always thought Demarcus Nelson was supposed to play, but never quite did. Yes. That yes. fair? That is fair. Sure, sure. But I'd rather compare to a guy who actually performed. I know, but because well, well, I don't want to look, Duke fans comparing players to Shane Battier is like the least is like the least fair thing to do to, for, for, you know, oh, so-and-so is a good shooter and he's under 6'6". Well, maybe he's J.J. Redick. Great. That's not, that's not going to help the guy at all. So the, he's, Wendell Moore is Demarcus Nelson, is the Demar- Demarcus Nelson in my mind that I, that like I wish Demarcus Nelson was. All right, Donald, your turn. Who's your player of the week pick? In a week where, you know, we had a lot of guys who did some good. I think one guy basically said, yo, paint's closed. His name is Mark Williams. He's my player of the week. Uh, after the first week where he didn't have a great week, but he had a decent week, he's had a spectacular week this week, and he's he, uh, rebounding, to, to borrow a pun. He has rebounded from that kind of you know, mediocre first week with a really, really good second week of basketball. Again, shutting down the paint both on offense and defense, scoring points, getting rebounds, getting blocks, and, and just basically imposing his himself into the game and doing it early, which is what I really like. So Mark Williams is my player of the week. The thing about Mark Williams is that when he blocks shots, he knows how to put the ball back in play and not just like, he's not, look, it, it was cool to see Zion like swatting balls into, you know, like into the, <laughs> into, uh, into, into the next County. Yeah. It's not, it's not productive, like sort of in the moment it's, it's productive from an intimidation perspective. Mark Williams keeps the ball in play and creates uh, turnovers and fast breaks because of his blocks. So that is awesome. And uh, I teased it at the beginning of the podcast. My player of the week is also Mark Williams. And like you guys said, he had 10 block shots in two games, uh, 15 rebounds against Lafayette. Uh, and, and, and as Donald put it, there's no other way to say it than he owns the paint. That is his territory. That is his land. He has purchased it. Anyone else coming in there needs to apply for a mortgage and they probably ain't going to get one because Mark don't give out mortgages. He just sends it back in your face. And I, I do want to mention one thing about Mark Williams. How amazing is it that he had this week where 13 and a half points and, you know, tons of rebounds and just ridiculous block shots, literally on the heels of, he played six minutes against Campbell, attempted one shot that he missed, had one rebound. I, like he did nothing against, he was played off the court against Cam- Campbell played Mark Williams off the court. Coach K had to sit him. He was unable to function against the Campbell Camels. And he comes back and has the dominant week where two of the three of us say he was the best player in a Duke uniform this week. It's just anybody crazy to think excited, about. Anybody excited for the matchup between Duke's bigs and Gonzaga's bigs? Oh, no. my yeah. God. Bring it on. Anyone? Bring it on. I'm Mark Williams I'm... against Drew Timmy. It's just going to be something. It's awesome. I don't See know what's soon. going Wait. to happen, but it's going to be fun. See you soon, Vegas. <laughs> Speak, wait, so, and speaking of speaking of big men, the elite big men that Duke has to go up against this year, uh, Oscar Shibway turns out still amazing. Not oh, just God. against Duke. Still so, beast. He's so, owning uh, people right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so don't be uh, Duke fans. Don't despair at the fact that, that uh, Kentucky's big man and was able to muscle Duke around a little bit. I think that's just who he is. Yeah. So by the way, Oscar Shibway is averaging 16 and a half rebounds per game. That's like, you know, that's you know I love sometimes, wait, 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 sometimes you go back and you look at like, you know, what, um, uh, what like Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and guys like that did. And, and you see that like, these crazy rebounds, like, oh, they averaged 22 rebounds a game. You're like, how is that even possible? Oscar Shibway, 16 and a half rebounds a game. It's just a huge number. That's huge. I, I, 
that's disrespectful to a lot of college <laughs> basketball players. Jason, I thought you were about to start telling us about seeing Wilt Chamberlain averaging 20 rebounds a game. Dude, I'm old. I'm not that old. I <laughs> <laughs> that's going to wrap it up for us here as we talk about how old Jason is. It's time to wrap it up uh, on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This was episode number uh, 359. That's right. Almost at 360. We've almost done a full circle of episodes. <laughs> I am Jason Evans. They are Donald Wine and Sam Klein. We're all done. We'll be back after the Citadel game to give you a major league preview of Gonzaga. Um, until then, have fun, stay safe, drive carefully, <laughs> and Duke band. Oh, no. What? what? Jason. <laughs> you don't like Ah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> but do drive, drive safely. No, for yeah. real. Yeah. Are, is, the, is the Duke band. Yeah, Duke Band, take us home. Juan Soto should have been MVP. <laughs> <laughs>